Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Good morning. Look at your neighbor and say, so glad you're here. Well, if you notice, I was sharing a little bit about Ben and my kids all being together. And so uh, Ben and Shai gave me this shirt from Hawaii. So I told him, I'm wearing it next week. What do you think, huh? Doesn't it look bright? Uh, we just need some palm trees. We sure got the heat. <laughs> but um, there's something about... As I got older, I am not afraid of colors anymore. I don't know what happened to me. I think my mom had an impact on my life as she was a shopper and she would buy things sometimes, things I would never wear. And one day I wore something, it was bright and everything. And I'm like, hey, kind of like it bright. And it changed me. So now she's up in heaven saying, what a difference I've made in him. He's finally dressing better. Um, Well, that's what she thinks, dressing better anyhow. I want to talk to you today. This is a really, I think, a message that all of us can learn a lot about. But before I do, I just want to touch base on last week's message, the test of friendship. Uh, Last week, we talked about this relationship between Jonathan and David. And it's a beautiful relationship when you really look at it. Because if there's one thing in life we all need, we all need friends. We need different levels of friends at different times in life and different seasons. There are some friends that are in your life for a certain time, for a certain season. But there are other people that come in your life, they're in your life forever. And I want you to understand something. You have a friend named Jesus who wants to be in the situation with you if you allow him to help you. Someone say, allow him. And so last week we talked about the test of friendship. And the first thing we talked about was that David had a promise, but all he saw was his problem. And sometimes in life, all we see is our problem. And when we see our problem, we can't remember God's promise. Matter of fact, we start complaining, we start murmuring, we start getting edgy, we start getting mad, actually, and just frustrated. Because you have a promise, but all you see is your problem. Problem here, problem there, problem there, problem here. How many have a day where you seem like everywhere you go, there's a problem? I can raise my hand on that one. I have many days like that. But I also got to remember the promise that God has spoken to my heart. I also have to remember what God has spoken to me numerous of times. There is a promise that I live in and live with. And so do you. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad for that promise. Come on, tell them. Look at some. I'm so glad for that promise. Because most of you are not thinking about God's promise for your life. You're just getting up in the morning saying, oh God, let me get through. But God wants to have this relationship with you and he wants you to keep in mind the promise not just the problem well David was under a lot of stress a lot of problems and so normally he's a man of faith but he's going through some stuff like we all do and so we learned a little bit about friendship because Jonathan had a heart to be faithful and to be his friend no matter what And we learned that a true friend is a person who stands with you in your problems. When you have problems, a person will come up and say, hey, how you doing, you know, and take an interest in your problems. That's what a true friend does. It takes an interest. You, your, your friends are revealed when troubles come. 
It really is. When troubles come, your friends are revealed. But you have to listen, listen, listen. You have to do your part. And you have to sometimes let them know. Not everybody knows what you're going through. And you have to give people the opportunity to kind of help in, step in, in order for something to happen. Some people don't want to step in. They just don't want to, they don't want to deal with your problem. They don't know what to do, so they leave you alone. And other people want to come in, but you have to also open the door to let them in. So a true first person is a person that's revealed in you when troubles comes. It's a person who stands with you in your problem. A true friend will protect you, your honor, and fight for you when you can't fight. Because sometimes in life, you're going to be at a certain situation where you're just helpless. You know, you just can't do it. And that person will fight for your honor and fight for you because they're on your side. They're all in. And a true friend will always seek. And this is so important, so important. And it's a challenge to you and I. will always seek to put the other person before your own needs. This is very important. And a lot of times people live, but they're always thinking about their needs. But they're not really thinking about the needs of others. But a true friend won't think of themselves. I always look back at a mom. Not all moms have done this, but I know that my mom did, and my mom put her kids before herself. And I know many of you have done the same thing. And you dads have put your kids before yourself. You've done some sacrifice. So I want to talk today and go into the next step because I opened up last week saying that it's an end of one chapter and a beginning of another chapter for David. And David's on a journey. He's in the school of kingship. And so right now, everything has been stripped from him. It's difficult. He's alone. It's hard. And yet, he's learning. Someone say learning. David's learning to lean on God, even amidst when the pressure's really heavy. There is a song that most of you know, learning, uh, leaning on the everlasting arm. How many know that song? Yeah. It's written by Anthony Showalter and Elisha Hoffman, and it happened because these two writers um, got letters from their dear friends, and their two best friends' wives passed away, and so both of their friends were in deep mourning. And that day, he was reading Deuteronomy chapter 33, 27, and he read this, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. It's really interesting that from this came this hymn. The hymn kind of says this, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace of mind, leaning on the everlasting arm. I'm leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, learning to leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. How sweet to walk in this pilgrim's way, leaning on the everlasting arms. How bright the path grows from day to day while you lean on the everlasting arms. Someone say process. See, David's in that process. David's in that journey. And sometimes we look at people in the Bible and we say, oh, look at that. Yeah, okay. But when we say, you know what, I'm going through something just like that. How do you, how do, you do? What do you do? Do you go to God, run to God, or do you say, you know what, God, I don't like what you're doing. And you know what, Lord, I, I'm, I'm just, you know what, I'm, I don't like it. And then all of a sudden you kind of get away from God. A lot of times when tough times comes, people run from God because they're just angry at God or they're frustrated. Why? Why? 
But we don't realize that problems are not necessarily negative. Get this, get this. Problems sometimes reveal a lot about ourselves. Problems actually help you. I, I want you to get this. Listen, listen, there is a friend in Jesus. Someone say amen. So when you feel weak, you need rest. When you're at your wit's end, you don't know what to do. The fact of knowing that Jesus says, I shall never leave you nor forsake you, should give you a, a promise. Listen to the psalmist, what he said. This is really great. In Psalms 119.71, you got to get this. This is important. This is the foundation to where we're going. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Did you get the psalmist? He's saying, it was good that I went through affliction. Because in the midst of that affliction, I got to learn about you. And now I desire you more than silver and gold. But that would have never came unless you didn't have a problem. Most time when we have a problem, we go to God and say, why God? Why? Why? Look at your neighbor and just say, why? Get it out of your, get it off your chest. Because that's what we do. We say, why, God? Why? Here goes. Everybody say, why? Why? Me. See? And the problem is, God says, well, son, well, daughter, why not you? Because I'm about to teach you something in the midst of your adversity. I just like to say that. Adversity. So let's take a journey right now, and let's go to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 21. And let's look at verse 1 to 2. <clears throat> David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is there no one with you? David answered Ahimelech, the priest. The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instruction. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Well, let's just think about this. David is not on the mission of King Saul. What is King Saul's mission? To kill David. <laughs> That's his mission. And David wants no part of that mission. So David does something here. David goes to the tabernacle. Now, let's stop for a second. David had just gone, he's just left his friend, Jonathan. There was a sad departing. David wept harder than um, Jonathan, the scripture says. David was in great distraught. But where did David go? He ran to the temple. When, when Saul was trying to kill him the first time, the second, uh, this first time, a, and, he, and he knew he was in danger, he ran to Samuel. And then after that, now it brings us to this time with Jonathan, and now he leaves because he knows that Saul wants to kill him. He now runs to the tabernacle and he goes to Helimelech, the priest. I want you to get this. This is important. Where do you go when troubles arise? You can tell a lot about a person depending on where they run to when they have problems. Some people run horizontally. They just got to tell someone this way. Other people will go this way and then they'll go this way. And that's the right way to go. You go to God and then you go to someone that you trust. Someone that will truly want to listen to your heart. Because you can go to someone, but that doesn't mean they want to listen to it. Because listening is a gift when you have a person who truly listens to you and wants to hear you. 
But you can learn a lot from a person, and we can learn a lot from David because right now David has no place to go again. And what does he do? He runs to the tabernacle for help. And so I want you to know he runs to Ahimelech, and Ahimelech is a very interesting man. He's, he's a son of Ahitab, son of Phinehas, who is the son of Eli. Ahimelech's brother, Ahijah, is a spiritual advisor for Saul. You want to talk about complicating the situation. And so what does David do? David does something you can't get along. David lies. David deceives and makes up a story. Have you ever made up a story and lied? If you lied, raise your hands. Just joking. Just joking. <laughs> Thank you for those honest ones. Yes. Yes, he lies. David lies to the priest. When the priest sees him, he's shocked. What are you doing, David? Why are you alone? Because a man, a general in the army of Saul, would never travel by himself. He would always have a group of men with him. But David's all by himself, has, and he must look like a wreck. He was just crying. He, he, you know, he's now on the run. I, I don't think David looked the best he's ever looked at. Nevertheless, he lies to the priest. He deceives the priest, and David makes up a story. Now, why do you think David lied? Why do you think David lied? There's really two avenues. One, he's protecting his own hide. Two, he's protecting Ahimelech so he doesn't be accountable for helping David. But in all reality, I'm going to vote for David's protecting his hide. How many want to raise your hand and feel like, yeah, yeah, if I have someone out to kill me, I don't know who to trust. I'm not going to be able to tell the whole story. And the more Ahimelech knows, the more accountable he really is. Nevertheless, nevertheless, David is in fear. David is in survival mode. David is a very, in a very difficult situation. And he, he lies to keep the truth from Ahimelech, the priest. Now, David is a real person. This is what I like about Scripture. The Scripture never runs away from the things that... The people in Scripture do. It's very real. It shows the good, it shows the bad, and it shows the ugly. And so in this situation, it shows you that David's a real person who makes mistakes. He may have a heart of God, but everybody who has a heart of God also makes mistakes. Look at your neighbor, and you can really, with a smile, say, I think he's talking about me. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Be real. And exercise your, your reality that sometimes we all, sometimes, and it doesn't have to be a big mistake, but we make mistakes. David is a real person who makes mistakes, who messes up. Real people, they sin. And there's always consequences for those actions. Proverbs 12, says, The Lord detests lion lips, but he delights in the man who is truthful. 1 Peter 3.10 says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and their lips from speaking deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. All through Scripture, we see lying is wrong. And yet when we look at the story of David, we see Jonathan lying for David. We see David lying. We see Michal lying, his wife, Solomon's daughter that was given to him. We see all this lying in the midst. But this one with David, though David lied and deceived, 
there is a consequence that comes from it. But before we talk about it, I, I want you to understand a few things about lying. You see, lying demonstrates usually a lack of trust and faith in God. It usually is birthed by fear. And in fear, we then lie to protect ourselves or to protect others. Now, everybody, I'll be honest with you, I have talked to a lot of people and have been in a lot of class of ethics dealing with the aspect of lying. Because there are many times that things are, are said or things are deceived in the words people use. And in some sense, it's not a lie. And there's a lot of fine line in there. But what David did was 100% deceive Ahimelech. And I want you to understand that he was wrong in doing so, but you also have to understand that he's in a journey. And so lying has consequences. Lying can create further problems for you and those that are with you. And we'll see that David's lie to Ahimelech is devastating consequence, not only for Ahimelech's family, but all the family of the priests and the city of Nob. Let's look at verse 3 and 5. Now then, what do you have on hand? This is what David says to Ahimelech. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men things are holy even on the mission that are not holy. How much more so today? David speaking from personal experience. David is hungry. David needs sustenance to live and to continue. So David asked for five loaves of bread. However, he didn't have any ordinary bread. What the, the priest had was show bread. This bread was in the tabernacle of the Lord on the table. And there was 12 loaves representing each tribe. It symbolizes the continual fellowship that God had with the people of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. The bread would be set out for one week and changed on the Sabbath. The show table was in the holy place on the west end of the tabernacle. And every Sabbath, when they changed it, they would put fresh bread there. I want you to understand something. This is important. First of all, showbread actually means faces, bread of faces. Bread of faces or present bread, what does it mean? When the priests would eat the bread, they would eat the bread in the presence of God. In the presence of God. I want you to get what this means because God put the bread there and it was fresh on every Sabbath because God is, and it was pointing to Jesus being the bread of life. And then when you accept Jesus, the bread of life, you get purified. You are cleansed. You partake of what God has done for you. The bread was a type of what Jesus would be. I want you to get this also. That the fresh bread put on every Sabbath was because God wants a fresh relationship with his people. I don't know. Have you ever been near a bakery that... That made fresh bread. How, how many have lived? I live near a bakery. So, you know, I woke up to fresh bread sometimes smelling up the neighborhood. And it just makes you want to go buy a loaf. You know what I mean? We have what they call Portuguese bread. 
and Vienna rolls and, and, and some of these bread. And this bread, I'm telling you what, you can't find some of these breads around. I mean, some of them, they're just unique breads and they're just so good. You put some linguiça in them oh, and a little cheese. Oh, 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 I just went out to lunch. Nevertheless, God puts the fresh bread on the altar so that is a reminder of the fresh bread that's going to come that you're going to partake in to receive new life. God wants your relationship today to be fresh. He doesn't want old stale bread. He don't want him to be put on way over here. He wants you to be in relationship with him on a daily basis. It's so important. Leviticus 24, 9 says, And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat in the holy place. However, however, Ahimelech asked David for a basic level of ceremony cleanliness before he would give him the showbread. He said, I'll give you the bread if you've kept yourself clean and you kept yourself away from women. Because, see, there was a bunch of things you could defile your body. And so this is things that you want. If you would partake of this bread, you would have to be ceremonially clean. David was at that. And so you have to understand David acted by himself, and yet in the text you see that he had, it says sometimes even Jesus and in Matthew uh, chapter 12 where he talks about his other companions with him. But nevertheless, those that ate of it, especially David, said, yes, absolutely, we're cleansed. We're, we're, we're. And that was one requirement that the high priest did. What was really interesting is that Ahimelech broke the priestly Leviticus um, uh, ritual. And yet, in Matthew chapter 12, 1 through 8, we have the story of Jesus' disciples picking grains on the Sabbath. And Jesus uses this very illustration to the Pharisees and said, Have you not read what Ahimelech did to David by giving him the showbread? Meaning that the Sabbath is important, but there's one more important than the Sabbath. The bread is important, but there's a greater message to the bread because now Jesus is all here the bread of life. And Ahimelech understood that David needed food. And so he weighed it out. Because the law did never say only the priest. It said the priest, but it didn't say no one else but the priest. Because it was pointing to, watch this now, the priesthood of all believers. And who are they? You and I. Those of the New Testament church, the priesthood of all believers. Isn't it amazing How something as simple as 12 loaves have such a bigger story for us today. Nevertheless, Ahimelech gives them the bread. And we see this great story that takes place. And Jesus himself brings up and doesn't condemn Ahimelech. But actually points out a point to the Pharisees. Why the grain on the Sabbath, because they're hungry, was more important than the actual Sabbath, because Jesus was there. Let's go on a little bit. We can go further on that as well. Verse 6 and 7 says, So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants, was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doag, the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. I want you to understand something. So here's David asking for bread, and he's going to ask for something else in a second. He's asking for bread, but there's someone there, Doag. 
and he is the head shepherd of Saul. Now, now, if you understand anything about Doag, he's not a godly man. And it says detained. So there he must have been fulfilling some type of ceremony ritual that he had to do for cleansing and stuff and the process of it all. And he was there. And while he was there, while he was there, great havoc comes from because of one man being there. You know, my mom, my mom used to tell me all the time, he says, you know, be careful who you trust. And I just listened. And she said, you know, if you tell one person, the wrong person, you just told the world. And I always used to laugh about that until one day I told the wrong person and I told the world. So the reality is, Doag, that one person, that only person there besides the priest and David, much havoc came from one person. Look, let's look at verses 8 and 9. David asked Elimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. Liar. Let's go on. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine who you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said... There is none like it. Give it to me. This is an important part of the story. Because right now David's fearful. And what does God provide for him? The Goliath's sword. I want you to get this. When he picked up that sword, what do you think he thought about? How did he get that sword? What happened on that great day of victory? And who was trying to kill him? Goliath. Isn't it amazing? There's another man now trying to kill him. His name is King Saul. And yet he went into battle not fearing a man that was nine feet tall with a javelin and spear and shield and, mil and military armor who had tremendous experience in fighting and had faith and went into battle and was a sling and a rock, defeated the man that wanted to kill him. And God provides the sword of Goliath. No doubt something had to happen because when you can remember what God has done in your life in these moments when you were down, when you made a mistake, when you made a mess and you say, God, can you still do something? It's those moments when he brings something as a reminder to you and said, Don't have, do you remember what I did there? Do you remember what I did there? Am I not the same God that I did something there? Can I not do it over here? The answer to that is yes. Come on, someone shout yes. yes. You see, you see, so he picks up the sword of Goliath. No doubt he had a deja vu. Whoa, I remember the moment that I got victory. Because he needs a victory right now. And don't you think that sword was there? Just because it was there. No, I'm telling you what, God planted that there. There's times God plants things there for years until it finally shows just when you need it. God will show up and he'll do these little things just to remind you of what he's done in your past. So you see a reminder of the victory and yet David is held, holding this sword. He remembered it. But he, he had to also remember he didn't do it with lying. He didn't do it with, with deception, but he had a faith and a trust in the Lord. Don't get me wrong. I believe David had faith and I believe he trusted. But you know what? When you go through problems, we waver a little bit, don't we? 
It's like the man who had a son and he went to Jesus and said, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And sometimes we, we're believing, but we have this side of us that sometimes like we say, but, but, but God, I don't know. Are you sure? God, am I really going to be king? Because I, I, I was in the palace. I mean, I was already there. And now I'm kicked out of everything. I don't understand your ways, God. I don't understand how you're working. See, this is where most people quit. This is where most people quit. People quit when they don't understand what God is doing. And they get mad at God or they'll get mad at somebody. They'll look, they'll look for a scapegoat somehow. They'll point their finger at someone. They won't point themselves. They won't point at themselves, though. They won't say, you know what, God? I was the person who made the decision. I was the person who had the attitude. I was the person. No, they don't do that. They point at other people. But David has to look deep in himself. And this is why he's on this kingship journey. I want, I want you to get this because he did it with bold trust in God. Trust that he believed God in spite of the consequences of Goliath killing him, he was willing to trust God and put his life on the line. And here he is learning another lesson to trust God. David can have the sword of Goliath in his hand, but what he got to get back to, he has to get back to the faith that he had when he faced Goliath. And realize that even though Saul is the king and over an army, God rules and reigns. And he, he's getting there. He's not there because he's learning to lean. Because the king we meet down the road is a different man than the king or the person on the journey to kingship. He's learning. He's learning. Radical faith brought down the giant. But I say radical only because when people see it, they look at it as radical. It's just normal faith. It's believing God for what God says. What does God say? Yeah, I know. I know he did it in this person. He did it in Moses. He did it in Elijah. He did it in Elisha. He did it with Paul. He did it with Peter. But he won't do it with me. Oh, really? Is he not the same God? Is he not the same God? Hello, is he not the same God? Does not your Bible say he changes not? Why do we always elevate this and then we come to ours like, well, you know, kick a can. I don't know about me. I, I'm, just a, I'm just a simple servant. Yeah, and that's all they were, simple servants. But radical faith is just believing God for what God's word says. And when it's tough and when it blows and when it seems like all the water's filling your boat, that's when you know, you know, you stay steady. You don't let the devil whisper in your ear. You don't give him nothing on your playground. You let God be on your ground. You let God show up and show off. You let God teach you. You let God do something real. You let God in so he can do something in the heart and heart that's happened over time of pain and disappointments. That's when you get to know your relationship with God. It's not in the good times. It's when you are afflicted and you trust and you don't rust. You see, radical faith is tough times is what really brings people to a greater understanding of who God is. I've shared this before, but my journey of schooling in the 10, 11 years was grueling, was difficult. So difficult that I broke down and wept hugely at the table one day because I had some tough days. I mean, I'm pretty good with my hands. 
I probably can fix most things or figure a way of fixing them. God's given me a gift in that aspect. We have a problem over the house right now, and I had a guinea rig it, and I used a plastic cup. <laughs> I know, MacGyver, right? It works until I fix a much bigger problem. But I want you to understand something. Everything I touched was breaking. I wasn't fixing anything. It's just things were getting worse and worse. And I'm like, and I had problem here and problem here and problem here. I mean, I just finally, I just broke down. I mean, I just broke down. And my wife said to me, are you done? Are you, are you going to quit? Or something like that. Or, and I was like, no, I'm not. Are you crying and crying, you know, are you giving up or whatever it was? And I said, no. I'm crying, I'm just broken because I didn't know this was going to be that tough. I didn't know this was going to be that hard. It was hard. It was more hard than I can really express to you. However, I had this little thing in me and I still carry it today. If you don't quit, you'll win. Quit is never win and win is never quit. There's something where there are some people who just say, I can't, or they'll find excuses. I'm at a point where I'm tired of excuses. I'm at a point where I'm like, you know what, God, it's 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 my discipline in my own personal life. It's not discipline or anybody else. If I'm going to be on fire, I'm going to be on fire. And if you want to watch me burn, you can sit and watch me burn because God's on the throne and he is alive. And his power rules and reign. And he wants to do great work in you. Great work. Not okay work. Not just survive work. I'm just trying to get through the day. That is not the way God wants you to live. That's the way you're choosing to live. That's when someone got to shout amen. Mm. You see, David lost his confidence in God and the fulfillment of his purpose because of the problems and pain he was experiencing in the present. But I want you to understand something. He got the sword of Goliath. But what we need to do is we need the sword of the spirit. We need to get the word of God in us. You know, you want, you, you, people often say, you know what, I had a bad this, bad this. And I always ask them, you reading? Are you in the word of God? And they always say no. Are you praying? Eh, a little bit. That's the reason why nothing changes. The Bible is not just to gain information. God is not into you knowing about him cognitively information he's into wanting to know you know him know his heart how many people do you know their heart know them you know them because you've spent time you've listened to their pain you listen to their hurt you listen to their struggles when's the last time you shared your heart your struggles, your pain with someone who really wants to listen I want you to tell right now, many people discard the word of God. They discard it, but that's the word of God. That is what we need. And David's slowly illuminating even greater. And we can learn this next week. (laughs) Many people do that. Let's go a little forward now and jump forward to see what happened because one man lied and deceived And one man had so much jealousy and hatred for this man to see what happens and how the devil used it in a very terrible way. Let's read. We're jumping through, we're jumping to now chapter 22, verses 6. 
Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul, spear in hand, every time I hear the spear in hand, is he's angry, he's upset, he's ready to throw the spear. Was seated under a tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah, with all his officials standing around him. Saul said, I want you to get this, Saul said to them, listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? Can you anybody say pity party? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me. Wamp, 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 wamp. All or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. But Doag, the Edomite, Edomite, who was standing with Saul's offices, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Hittab at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent the priest sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Hittab, and his father, whole family, who were the priests of Nob. Watch this. And they all came to the king. Saul said, listen now, son of Hittab. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse given him bread and a sword for inquiring of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David? Even the priests understood this. The king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected in your household, was the day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his fa father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you, your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at the side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials would, were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priest or the Lord. The king then ordered Doag to turn and strike down the priest. So Doag the Edomite turned and struck them down. And that day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. It gets worse. Also, he put to the sword Nob, the town of the priest, with its men, its women, its children, and infants, and its cattle, donkey, and sheep. But Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, son of Hittab, escaped and fled to join David and told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, that day when Doag the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your father's whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who is seeking your life is seeking mine also. You will be safe with me. I want you to understand something that's really important for you and I, that David lied and caused this massive problem. 
But I also want you to understand, too, is that though David lied, it was the hatred of Saul, the jealousy heart, the heart of anger, the heart of hatred, that he was willing to tell all the people, if you help David, this same fate will happen to you and your family. You want to talk about, you won't talk about life and death. Oh boy, you talk about life and death, you see how different people act. You know, you can, people can talk real big, but when it comes to life and death, all of a sudden people act all different. I don't know if they think God becomes small or, or anything, but God's in control of your day to day. Someone say amen. He doesn't have to have catastrophes all around us to know that God can prevent things and protect you. You may go through some stuff, but he's still over the stuff. Someone say amen. So you have King Saul who is so full of hatred for David because David is a threat. He doesn't even listen to the truth of Ahimelech. Doesn't listen at all because all he hears is what he wants to hear. And all he does now is saying, you know what? You're going to die. Not just you, but everyone is going to die. Think about this. He doesn't just kill the priest who was involved. No, 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 no. His anger and the spirit of evil that's on Saul to do an atrocity as this. Even Saul's own men didn't want to kill the priest. Why is that? A reverence of the Lord. But did Doag have any reverence of the Lord? Not at all. We can learn a lot in this situation. It's amazing how David is a, God, a man after God's own heart. Is because it doesn't mean that he hadn't make mistakes. David literally said, this is my, my fault. This happened because of me. Now, what he was doing was trying to protect his hide. He didn't know the consequences of a a deceivement and lie, but whenever we lie, there is always consequences for our words we use. There's always consequences. In this case, because Saul was so much out to make a point and to destroy David at any cost. So David has nobody to turn to. He did something terrible and killed innocent, innocent people and killed people with innocent, innocent blood. That is accountable before God. I want you to know something, and this is really important for us, is that 1 Peter tells us, instructs us, it says, close yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. David sinned. David made a major mistake as he was trying to protect his life. Saul, on the other hand, keeps on making greater ones. Because Saul's heart is so hard and so full of hatred, he lives his whole life this way. His heart never changes towards David. He has moments and says certain things, but ultimately still carries a disdain for David. And later on, you get to see the man David really is and how he responds when Saul, the man that's been trying to kill him for so many years, and how he writes a song about who he was and mourns for him. That is why David is a special man. Problems, pressures, pain can be used to draw us closer to God. 
We can learn and lean on Jesus because leaning on Jesus is a progressive thing. It's every day to lean on the Lord. And when you do something and make a mess, you can ask God to help you. Making a mess is never the problem sometimes. It's how we respond to it. David, when he made a mess, he owned up to his, his mess. He owned up to his sin. That's what made him so different than Saul. He didn't blame people. If he blamed anyone, he blamed himself for his own actions. I think God just wants us to be humbled people and not just try to blame people. But if you're accountable for something, own up to it. That's a good way of living your life, honest before God and before others. David learned a lesson, and you're going to learn, he's going to learn a lot more. But what makes him the king that he has to be or what he becomes is what he goes through. A man one day was given a speech. He gets thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, sometimes maybe $100,000, $180,000 for speaking. And a man came up to him and started talking about his occupation. And he said, I'd like to do what you do. And he said, well, you can. But before you do what I do, you have to go through what I've been through to get you to this point to do what I can do. A lot of people sometimes see all the lights, but we don't realize that an individual goes through things in life, some of those afflictions that God wants to use in your life. God wants to use them. They're not to hurt you. They are to help you to depend upon God, of what God wants to do. We sometimes are so set on certain things, and God's saying, listen, Get on my program. Watch how easy things become. It's just getting the heart of God. God cares for you, and he cares for people. He cares for those that are come into your life. And God just wants you to have a desire for him and be quick to go to him when you make a mess or when you sin. Someone say amen. Maybe you're here today, and maybe there's something that you, there's a mess in your life. Maybe you've made some bad decisions. Maybe those watching online, maybe you've made some bad decisions. Maybe your heart is not right before the Lord. It's so easy to get right before the Lord. Don't dwell on your mistake. That's what G the devil wants you to do. Jesus wants to g help you to learn from your mistake. And you just have to take yourself and say, God, I've sinned. I've fallen short. God, I made a mistake. I made a mess. God, forgive me. Someone say, forgive me. One of the greatest things that you can do in all humility of heart, go, God, forgive me for I've sinned. Help me. I yield myself to you. And then start, grab hold of the power of God and don't turn back. Be all in in your relationship. And when the winds do blow, keep chucking. And when pressures come, keep chucking. You keep growing. You keep pushing on. You keep loving God and loving others. And watch what God will do. God will do great things when you put him first. Some say amen. Let me just pray for you. Father, I just ask right now that you would help each person here to lean on the everlasting arm. Because Lord... Leaning is a journey. It is a journey. 
None of us are there. It is a journey. And I pray, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will touch each individual where they are with what they need as they lean in the problem they have it right now. They lean upon you. They get in your word. They get understanding of what you want to do. They start to pray. They start to communicate. They start to learn your word and surround themselves with believers. So iron can sharpen iron. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, draw our hearts ever so close to you that we will truly not look at the mistakes or the slowness of our hearts to learn. But Lord, this day is a new day for the rest of our lives as we start walking with you hand in hand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in His church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.